All right, we are going to jump right into Daniel chapter 2. We're doing the whole chapter, and there is a lot of verses this morning. And so we'll have the verses on the screen, but if you want, it might be helpful to have your Bible out this morning. There's 49 verses, I think. And uh, just be able to reference, because there's, to some degree, we're going to be jumping around and, and moving uh, somewhat quick. And so I would encourage you to grab your Bibles and be ready for that. But we are at this different stage. Last week we were introduced to Daniel and his three friends. And they were, um, they, they were brought into captivity in Babylon. And as a result, they were brought into the king's court because they came from a rich background in Israel. And Daniel, to make a long story short, rather than accepting the food, the rich food of the king, he asked to be fed vegetables and water alongside with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and the, the king's court, they said, well, no, we're going to get in trouble if you do that. And David said, give us just 10, 10 days, I think it was. And if you don't see a noticeable improvement in us, or, or if we look weaker or seem weaker, then we will do what you want. Well, after those days, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, they were stronger, they were wiser, and they were learning everything in a much quicker and better way. And God's power, we talked about, was on display in a really subtle way. Daniel doesn't really talk that much about it being his, uh, the living God who, who brought this power or not. Um, but today we're going to hear a little bit more about that. I'm just going to adjust this here. Imagine having... No, this is not working here. Let me just... There we go. Imagine having a dream. And King Nebuchadnezzar today... In chapter 2 of Daniel, he has this dream, and he wakes up troubled by it, and he wants to figure out what it means. Now, being the king of the superpower of the world in that day, he had at his disposal magicians, people that, that could do magic. He had enchanters, he had sorcerers, he had astrologers, he had all this power at his fingertips. And in his mind, and in the nation's mind, these were some powerful people. They, they were able to communicate with all the hundreds of different gods that they had and, and bring, um, bring an end to thoughts and to worry and any doubts that the king might have. But this dream is a little bit different because King Nebuchadnezzar, it says he was troubled by it. And we don't know if he just forgot what the dream was, but he knew it was troubling. We don't know all of those background details, but what we do know is he calls all of these sorcerers, he calls these magicians, these enchanters, and these astrologers, astrologers together. And he wants them to reveal what this dream is all about. But rather than tell them about the dream, he decides, you know what, I want to see if they can tell me the dream without me telling them about it, and then <coughs> give me the interpretation. So you can imagine what that would be like. So let's jump into Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to start with the first 13 verses this morning. It says, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell them what he had dreamed. When they came in, he stood before the king, and he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, 
I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asked, asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death as well. Can you imagine being in this situation? And now we also get the sense Daniel and his friends weren't even part of this discussion, and yet because they are part of the wise people of the king's court, they are also about to be killed as a result of the lack of power of these gods of Babylon. And I love that in, in verse 11, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can, no one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Now, isn't that a statement? Our gods don't live among us. And yet, here is Daniel, who knows that he serves the living God, who, who is at work in this world, who lives among them. Here we are, all these years later, and we know that we serve uh, a living God, who sent his son to die for us, Jesus, on the cross, who lived in this world, God incarnate. But the Babylonians obviously didn't have that hope, did they? The Babylonians could only put so much faith and trust in their gods as long as it didn't impact their lives. And then they, they knew that their gods just didn't have the power they wanted. And so consultants is what, is what they were looking for, trend spotters, religious gurus. All this power was at the king's fingertips. And Babylonian religion... Uh, John Oswald says in the NIV commentary, I encourage looking for portents of the future in dreams and the fantastic occurrences of everyday life. In other words, they were looking to say, what is going to happen next? What does the future look like? Now, we all have those, those, those thoughts. We all have those, those, those wonderings and discussions, don't we? What is it going to look five years from now, ten years from now? What is this world going to look like for our grandchildren? And we all have those thoughts. But their culture was based around the dreams of their leaders, their king, looking and seeing, trying to future cast what was going, on, going to happen. Now, they would look for these events in, um, in bizarre birth, things that didn't go right during birth. They would look for re these results in the sky. They would look for results in the shape of the animal livers that they would sacrifice. And they would also look for these results in dreams. Now, this is where Daniel would probably fit in best. Because God often revealed and revealed, reveals himself in dreams as well. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament. And so 
Daniel's faith comes closest here to what the king is asking of these wise men, these magicians, these enchanters. And so it's interesting that he doesn't get asked. He doesn't appear to be in that inner group that, that has said, there's no God that's living among us that can, can figure this all out. And so then we get this battle beginning between the magic and the arts and the divine revelation of God. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar didn't know that he had the divine revelation of God right at his fingertips. He didn't know that living amongst him in the king's court were a group of men that were seeking after God, that were desiring to live a God in a godly manner. And biblical prophecy, we see all throughout the scriptures, it often included dreams. Not all the time, but it often included dreams. And it was in the result of this divine initiative and revelation that, that Daniel wanted to step into. And, and so we're going to find out in, in just a few moments what Daniel is going to do as these people come to arrest him. But we have to answer the question first of why was the king so angry? What had him so disturbed? Obviously, he had had dreams before, and these wise men, enchanters, and sorcerers, and magicians, they were able to give him um, thoughtful, thought-out revelation to what his dreams were. But perhaps he had forgotten this dream. Or perhaps what he remembered of this dream was disturbing. And there's this sense of him being a new king. He's only in his third year of his reign. Where maybe he's, in te- maybe he's testing the integrity of the people that serve him. Maybe he's realizing that he is surrounded by people that will tell him exactly what he wants whenever he wants. And there will be no struggle or no stress. And maybe he wants to see, I wonder what they will do if I push back. We know his anger is real because he's sending out um, his people to put to death all of these magicians and sorcerers and and people who were wise, including Daniel and his friends. And so this is the death sentence number one. We're going to keep track of this over the weeks. Death sentence number one for Daniel and or his friends. The four men were not even present at the sentencing, but here is where it gets really exciting God was going to use them to show his glory. God was going to use these four men who weren't even there, that people were being sent out to search and find them, to cut them to pieces and destroy their homes. Doesn't that sound exciting? Not at all, exactly. And he was going to use them in that moment to show power. And in Daniel, we're reminded that even by these sorcerers, magicians, and and all of those wicked people, that no one can can reveal it to the king except the gods, and none of them are living. And Daniel's about to say, actually, there is a living God. And with that, the king orders all of his men to be killed, all of these wise men to be killed. Imagine taking everybody that you deem to be wise in your kingdom and just getting rid of them. It doesn't sound like a really good leadership ploy to me, but that's King Nebuchadnezzar. He's kinda, he kind of reacts just really haphazardly all uh, throughout his reign. But let's go to 14 to 23 of chapter 2. When Ariok, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time 
so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. What a beautiful passage of scripture. And we learn in this passage that Daniel, even though he was still young, is full of wisdom and tact, it says in the NAV. Now tact is, is using sensitivity and dealing with others or with difficult issues. That's hard to do under a lot of stress. I don't know many people at all who can be under a great amount of stress who, stress, who uses wisdom and tact at all times. I certainly don't. Death is imminent. And here Daniel responds with this calm response uh, to, to the king's uh, people. And I'm wondering how I would respond. My guess is it wouldn't be calm and logical. My guess is, is I would have some panic in my mind, probably have some anger, some fear, and all of those things would just work against me. And you wouldn't sense a lot of wisdom and tact like Daniel shows here. And so I want us to be really aware of, of just the amount of stress he is under in this moment and just the amount of, of, of faith in God that he puts. And he does, he shows his wisdom in a few ways, wisdom under stress. First of all, he asks the king for more time. And I think we can learn something even today from that, that our emotions need time. It's not okay to react and respond out of anger or stress. And like I said, we're, most of us are probably pretty bad at that, including me. But he asks the king for time. He realizes that he doesn't have time to make any definitive um, statements here. But he's wondering, could the king grace me with a little bit more time to beseech my God to go to him and ask him what this dream meant? And then I love it because the second thing he does as he asks his friends to pray along with him. We need each other to stay focused on God, don't we? We need time to process, but we need each other to make sure that we continue to be wise, continue to have tact under stress. He knows that they only have one option in this moment, prayer. And the Babylonian sages were only half right. Well, no human could ever tell the king about his dream. God could. And in contrast to what the Babylonian wise men were saying, there was a God who lives among the people, and I've already said it, it was the king, or the God of Daniel, our God. And so he asked the king for time. And he asked his friends to pray. And he's specific in what he asks his friends to pray. He asked God to reveal the mystery. He knows and he recognizes that there's nothing 
that he can do in this moment that is going to give him the answers that King Nebuchadnezzar needs. And so he asks God, could you reveal to me the mystery? He recognized that what was being asked to him was beyond human comprehension. It was more than he could do on his own. It was more than he could figure out. And while all the other wise men in Babylon, they had decided, we can't figure this out, we give up. I guess we go to our deaths. He knew that there was a source that he could go to. Now, how could Daniel be so confident? You see it up there. This wasn't his first time trusting. Daniel had trusted God so many times before. He didn't just get to Babylon and decide on the spur of a moment that he wanted to eat a different diet and show that he could do things a different way and God would be with him and lift him up and care for him and give him power. That wasn't just a brilliant flash-in-the-pan thought he had. Daniel had been living that way his whole life. Now I said last week he was a young boy, 12 to 14, 15 years old likely. This is a wise, wise young man. And it wasn't his first time trusting. He had trusted God so many times and he knew that God would again provide in this occasion. And it goes back to that, that same old, same old, you probably think I say week in and week out, that we have to be praying, we have to be in the word of God. And I'm going to keep saying it over and over again because our minds are short and we need to be reminded. He knew who his God was. He knew who God was capable of, what God was capable of doing. And so he knew in this moment that either God would spare his life and give him the details to this dream, or he wouldn't. But either way, Daniel seems confident and comfortable in his standing before the living God. And there were two things that Daniel understood to be true about God. First of all, God is powerful, and God is wise. Now, that is completely contrary to what the wise men of Babylon are saying about their gods, isn't it? God is powerful, and God is wise. In verse 21, Nebuchadnezzar himself is a king because God is the one who sets up kings and disposes them. It says that right in Scripture. And God is at work in the country of Babylon back then, and God is at work in Canada today. And I think sometimes we don't attribute enough power to God. We don't attribute enough wisdom to God. God knows what we're going through. God knows what our leaders are doing. God knows how we have to struggle through this life. And Daniel understood that. That's why we're going through this book. That's why we're going way back thousands of years to look at this young man who had such wisdom and tact under stress and under difficult circumstances. Because far too often I think it's easy to become more like the king's wise men and say this seems too much. This seems like it's too difficult. This seems like there's no way out. And that's why I'm wanting to remind you God is powerful. There's nothing that he can't overcome. And God is wise. There's nothing that he doesn't understand. 
There's nothing that you're going through in your life right now that he doesn't have a firm grasp on. The God of Daniel is the God of all of us still today. He hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's go verses 24 to 45. We're going to hit a large chunk here. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to them, to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dreams mean. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he he is asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were laying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue is made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands. It It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was your dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory, and in your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over all of them, over, over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, the third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will, will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes are partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes are partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. 
The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. What great wisdom. Now, we're about to see in the end of this chapter that Daniel was bang on with his interpretation, that Daniel was bang on in, in knowing what the king dreamed. But here he is before the king, and rather than, than sugarcoat any of the bad parts, he just said, this is what's happening. And it strikes me that he reminds King Nebuchadnezzar of his power. He he rightfully says, you are the king pretty much of this whole world. This was the superpower in its day. You are in charge of all the animals, all the people. You have all the power in the world. And here's King Nebuchadnezzar, and he's going to this conquered young man from Israel to find out what God is up to, to find out what this dream means. But I want to start with priorities first. Because Daniel, I, I find it interesting, Daniel sought out protection for the lost. And I think it, 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 there's a good question there. What should this tell us about our interactions outside of the church walls? One of the first things Daniel did was, was ensure the safety of all those magicians and sorcerers, sorcerers and, and all those people that, that most of us would want nothing to do with. And yet, for some reason, he seeks out their, uh, their, their safety as well. And I think there's a missional call in there in some ways too, isn't there? That we are called to go into this world and to seek out the lost and, and to give them the story of Jesus and to tell them what God has done. That's what we're called to do, and that's all we have to do. The second priority that Daniel had here was he gave credit where it, due to where it was due. This isn't about me, but this is about my God. This is about the God who reigns in heaven, who is the creator, who is far greater than any of these other gods that King Nebuchadnezzar could have. You notice, Daniel doesn't gloat here. He's still using that wisdom intact. But he's letting King Nebuchadnezzar know that that his power is only because of this God that Daniel is telling him about. And Daniel is logical and straightforward. In a world that values flash and substance, <coughs> I love that Daniel just simply lays out the facts. Here's your dream. Here's what it means. He doesn't overthink it. He doesn't go beyond that, except to say, this is what God has told me to tell you. He doesn't use this moment as a great power play where he gets great power. In, in fact, he does receive great power at the end of this chapter. But he wasn't looking for that. I love in verse 29, as your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer in mystery showed you what is going to happen. He's saying, God told you in this dream what is going to happen. The revealer of mysteries here is God. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. In other words, he's saying, God has revealed this to me as well to help you in this time. To help all the wise men, to help Daniel even in this time. Not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, Daniel says, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. 
You see, God was trying to speak to King Nebuchadnezzar, and he wasn't following. He wasn't getting it. He, he didn't understand the source. And so Daniel's telling him, let me tell you about God. He has given you something and revealed something to you, and I am going to tell you what that is. And if you don't think that this isn't relevant to us today, let me ask you a few questions, or tell you a few statements. God can use you. If he can use a young Israelite boy who is in captivity in a foreign land, God can use you at your home in this place. God can use, this is a little bit more difficult for us to, to, to really grasp and, and want to understand, God can use a wicked politician. I'm not going to get too deep in that, but Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked king. He was a horrible person. He, he, he had overthrown most of the modern culture. And he was trying to mold them into his culture as much as possible. He used magicians. He used sorcery. He used all the black magics to try to figure out what his gods were saying. He was not a man of God. And yet, God revealed himself to King Nebuchadnezzar. And if God can use us, if God can use wicked politicians, God can use a godless and hateful person to speak as well. We're going to see what Nebuchadnezzar says at the end of this chapter in just a moment. But God will be heard by whom and when he wants, us, wants to be heard. So the question for us is, are we wanting to be more like Daniel? Are we wanting to be prepared to speak into a culture that doesn't want to hear about God? Not with the loudest voice. I realize I say that as I'm yelling at you. But <laughs> not with the loudest voice. But sometimes with wisdom intact, like Daniel. Are we ready to be like Daniel? Now let's just take a brief moment. I don't want today to be about his dream, but I do want to talk about it for a minute. I want to put a picture up on there of this, uh, of this um, statue that the king talked about. The great image in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now the gold was Babylon. And, and Daniel makes that very clear. And then he talks about the powers that would come afterwards. The silver would be from the Medes. The, the bronze, the billion thighs, they were from probably Macedonian uh, rule. And the iron, the legs, and the clay and whatever was from the Roman rule that had spread out all around the world but eventually crumbled. Still is still part of, even a lot, a lot of Roman society is part in, of our science and culture today, just like, like Daniel said. Uh, but it's no longer a giant, uh, a giant um, superpower, is it? And so Daniel is saying all these things to King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's basically saying, you know what? Your kingdom is going to fall. Now think how scary that would be. You're standing before this king who is the mightiest man on earth. And you say, your dream says that your kingdom's going to fall. And after your kingdom, there's going to be other successive kingdoms that rise up. And they're going to fall. And then there's going to be this, this God, this majesty, this, this person that, that the world is going to reject, turn their backs on, that will rise up and will reign forever. This God that interpreted the dream of Daniel would be around long after King Nebuchadnezzar passed away. This, this mountain that, that would rise up 
will not be broken. And that's still the same for us today. That mountain that has rose up, that God showing his power, he is still in control of everything that is going on outside of these walls and inside these walls. I should be more careful. Even in, even in the church he reigns. And so let's look at how King Nebuchadnezzar responds in verse 46 to 49 as we close out the chapter. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of, the Bab of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the loyal court. This has always been one of my favorite moments in Scripture. This is the most powerful man in the world at that time. And it says, he falls down before Daniel and pays him honor and orders that, that an offering and incense be presented to him. And he's lavished with all these gifts. And, and some commentaries wonder why Daniel didn't correct him and remind him that this was the living God. And yet I think that King Nebuchadnezzar states that himself. In verse 47, surely your God is the God of gods. He's saying, your God is mightier than all these gods we have been, we have been serving. All these gods that these wise men have been trying to, to bring forth. Your God is mightier than all of those gods. And he's the Lord of kings. He's saying, your God is mightier than me. Remember, this is one of the most wicked, powerful men in the world saying this. And he's a revealer of mysteries. That's the God we serve. And I love that in, in, in Daniel's quiet, in his wisdom, in his tact, these things happen. Here is this wicked king proclaiming God as Lord over all. And so what now? As we prepare to finish this, this time together and as we prepare to head out into this world, what now? Well, we know the source of true wisdom and that God reveals to all his power. We know the source. We understand the source. We're learning about the source every time we open this book. Every time we get on our knees and we pray to God, we are going to the source of power and wisdom that can overcome anything in this world. But it also has to make us look at our own relationships with Jesus Christ. Are we like Daniel? Or are we more like the wise men who seemed utterly incapable of knowing that there's this living God? The wisest men in the land and they had no clue about this living God. They weren't searching for him. They weren't looking for him. They weren't asking after him. All they knew was all their idols and all the earthly things, the worldly things that they could place their hope in. And Daniel came along and he said, no, there's much more. There's this living God. There's this God who loves you and cares for you and, and wants to be revealed to you. And so we in our lives, we can be 
those people that are seeking after God like Daniel and his friends. Or we can be more like those wise men saying, well, the world seems kind of out of control. I guess we just give up and wait and see what happens. And I'm not suggesting doing that. I'm suggesting that we do what Daniel did, that we are wise, that we interpret the scriptures, that we dig into his word, that we proclaim his name. Because we serve a living God. Who believes that? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your power. Father, I thank you that you are much more powerful than even we here sitting in this church ever give you credit for. You are at work. You are on the move. You are above our governments. You are above everything in this world. Father, help us to live like we believe that. Help us to be wise like Daniel. Help us to speak into this society with tact and wisdom and strength, just like Daniel. Father, we know you are at work. And there may be seasons in our lives where, where you seem distance, where we don't maybe see your hand upon our nation, upon us. And maybe that's because we've turned our backs. Maybe that's because we've become a lot more like Babylon than we care to think. So, Father, I pray for our nation. It's fallen. Our nation is not seeking after you. Our nation is not putting you on the throne where you deserve to be. Rather, we become a nation, Father, that thinks that we can make up our own realities, that we can be who we want to be, we can do what we want to do, and there's no reasoning, there's no understanding, there's no thought, thinking things through. So, Father, I pray that we would be that place that are seeking after you. That are not just giving in to the whims and the thoughts of everybody and everything that just seems to change every single day. Father, may we be a powerful people within this fallen nation. But I also pray for our leaders. Father, if you can change the heart of a wicked king, you could change the heart of anyone you want. So Father, I pray that our leaders would hear of you that they would seek after you. We thank you for our leaders in, in government that are already doing that, that are already a witness. Father, may they continue to do that. May they continue to proclaim your name from our governments. Father, we know it seems like a lot, but we know that with you everything is possible. So we ask you these things in your holy name. Amen.